0: I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 to 17. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no one, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's Pray together father this is indeed your word and we desire to hear your voice we pray that um, you would help us to submit ourselves to you right now we pray that you would help us to hear your uh, your truth hear your gospel we pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives we pray that you would be with me as i seek to speak if as if I may never preach another sermon again, and as if we may never hear another one again. Be with us this morning by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Most of us have seen images of a military unit running together in step, images of muscular men with a rugged look on their face, with pristine uniforms led by a guidon bearer carrying a flag flanked by a sergeant bellowing out song-like cadences as the men run along the path. And as easy as and effortless as that seems, uh, the reality is often much different. It's true that most Military units have plenty of servicemen and women who can successfully run together in step, responding to the sergeant's cadences, keeping going as the unit runs along, but it's also very true that most units have soldiers, marines that struggle with such things, and Um, there's a reason why the military has minimum fitness requirements. It becomes a struggle for some people. And when that struggle happens, there is a common pattern that you see. First, the the individual stops singing the cadence along with the rest of the unit. And then the singing of the cadence is replaced with a labored breathing, followed by a a straining or a, a groaning as they seek to continue, and then next thing you know, they're out of step with the rest of the unit, and then after that, they start looking for a way to fall out of the unit, and the rest of the unit starts to take notice. Other individuals start to encourage and urge them to continue on to stay with the rest of the group, and then the sergeant may even yell threats at the individual, but in some cases it's to no avail, the individual falls out. And is left behind and at the beginning of chapter 12 we were told that uh, the Christian life is this race that we are running but the reality is that like a military unit running together the Church of Jesus Christ runs this race together we are not running an individual race we are members of one another and by God's grace some of God's people run the race with more strength and endurance, but we must all look out for one another in this race so that we do not uh, leave anybody behind, so that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We must look to the left and to the right as we fix our eyes on Jesus. And the original church that received this letter, they were clearly struggling with discouragement and perhaps even on the verge of despair. And the Spirit's solution to that was to encourage the church, the Spirit-filled, blood-bought people of God, to keep one another in the love of Christ, to encourage one another as we run this race together. We must fix our eyes on Jesus but we must be mindful of one another in the body so that we can all reach glory together. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we want to consider the task that the Lord has given to us, the workers appointed for the task, and the reward for the work. So let's begin by the task that the Lord has given to his people, and that all-important task is there in verse 15. He says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This race that we are running is long and hard and is fraught with many perils and dangers along the way, but the task is that we are to see to it that no one, not one, fails to obtain the grace of God. And our God gives us three ways, three means of doing that in our passage. And the first one is through encouragement, gospel encouragement. It's there in verse 12. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This passage, this this statement, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, is a clear reference to Isaiah 35, which we read for our call to worship, which is a call to encourage one another in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaiah 35 continues. He says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Especially when we face struggles and the trials and we become discouraged, beloved, we, we need to be reminded of that those great gospel promises that our Savior Jesus Christ has run the race for us, that he was victorious that he has been exalted into the heavenly realms and that he will come again with vengeance with recompense he will come and save us it is a surety it is a it is an encouragement for the weary souls as we run this race. It's something that we need to be be reminded of again and again. It's something that you need to hear and I need to hear, and every one of our brothers and sisters needs to be reminded in the surety that our God will come and save us. The second means of keeping one another in the grace of God is by pursuing peace. He says in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. As we read in our affirmation of, or our assurance of pardon this morning, because of what Jesus has done, we have peace with God. He has paid the penalty for our sin. There is now no more enmity. There's no more fighting between God and his people. We have peace with him, and now God exhorts us as brothers and sisters who have peace with our Father to live at peace with one another. He's adopted us by his spirit of peace into his family. And unlike many earthly families, our spiritual family is to be a family of peace. It's a, it's a, it's a command of our God that, is, that requires hard fought peace. We must seek peace and pursue it. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It means denying ourselves, seeking after those who have offended us, even seeking after those we have offended, and pursuing peace because God desires peace in his family. And one of those threats of peace is There in verse 15, he says, See to it that uh, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it many become defiled. It's it's bitterness that our God points us to. It's not the white-hot anger. It's not particular divisions over beliefs or preferences. It's bitterness Bitterness, just it's just the bitterness that that comes when a simple miscommunication. It's a bitterness that begins when your expectations aren't met. It's a bitterness when you feel like the other person hasn't been treating you the way that you ought to be treated or you want to be treated. It's a bitterness that comes when your sins rub up against someone else's sins. And that bitterness is a it's a discontent of your soul, my soul, that yields horrible fruit, disastrous fruit, if left unchecked. It's it's this bitterness that the the evil one plants these seeds and then he, he waters them so that they would grow and fester, and left unchecked it yields the disastrous fruit of anger and hatred and dissension and division. Beloved, bitterness seems like such a small thing, but bitterness is not to be trifled with. It is a dangerous and poisonous vine around your heart. It threatens the body. See what he says? no uh, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It causes a lack of unity, a lack of peace within the body. And Beloved, if you are struggling with bitterness, let's, let's root out this bitterness together. And if you know that your brother or sister is struggling with bitterness, let's do some gentle gardening. It's for the sake of our own hearts and for the sake of the body. We must seek peace and pursue it. Uh, the second, or I'm sorry, the third means that we uh, pursue, try to keep everyone in the, the grace of God is by pursuing holiness. He says, uh, verse 14, strive for peace and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now what is Holiness it was a long conversation there, but holiness is being set apart for holy use. Uh, holiness is a purity uh, of righteousness. It is Christ-likeness. It is uh, a cleansed soul and mind that pursues the things of God over things of self. And we're to Strive for that. Strive for that holiness. It's a, an important trait because without that holiness, no one will see the Lord. We can't uh, become holy on our own. This holiness is something that is worked by God himself. In fact, much of it has been done already by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been set apart as holy. We, by faith in the holy Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died and rose on our behalf, we are adopted into our God's family with God as our Father, and we are made holy, sanctified sons and daughters of the living God. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in him, we are declared righteous and holy. Our sins have been washed away. We have been forgiven. We are pure and holy in God's sight. And as we read earlier in the book of Hebrews, even the heavenly places themselves have been purified and sanctified and made holy for our arrival by the blood of Jesus Christ. All that has been done, and yet we're still called to strive for holiness without which No one will see the Lord. In the course of our lives, we who are destined for perfected holiness are perfected as we strive for holiness. As we, as God's people, respond to this exhortation, this command, Christ purifies us as we pursue it. And He gives us a couple of threats to that holiness, which we need. The first one is sexual immorality. See to it that no one is sexually immoral, he says. Beloved, sexual intimacy is governed by God's moral and eternal and unchangeable law. That is why there is such a thing as sexual immorality because it is governed by God's morality. God declares in his word that sexual intimacy is reserved for the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman, and anything outside of that is unholy and destructive. God, in his word, makes clear that as members of the body of Christ, as recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believers in him, we are are made members of Christ himself and not just us in a general sense. But the Apostle Paul says that our bodies are members with Christ himself. And by our union with Christ, we are also joined to one another. We are members of the body. And so there is a unity and a connection in the body. And Paul makes very clear that we must pursue sexual purity for the sake of our unity with God, with uh, unity with Christ and our unity with one another. This sexual immorality threatens the holiness of an individual and of the body itself. And our charge as a Christian community is to see to it that no one is sexually immoral. Beloved, I know that some of you, some of us have sexual immorality in our past or even in our present. Some of us have had horrible things of this nature done to us. And what you need to know is that you are neither defined nor permanently defiled by these things that you have done, or these things that have been done to you. The blood of Jesus Christ is a powerful cleansing agent. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all impurities and all sins. These are things that we bring to the Lord, we confess, we hate and we receive the forgiveness and the freedom that has been purchased for us by the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, as the Lord Jesus Christ said to the, the woman caught in adultery, go and s- sin no more. Go and live with the freedom that you have been given in Christ Jesus. And if you're caught in, an, in sexual immorality of any kind right now, beloved, f- flee. Flee. Flee from all kinds of sexual immorality. Flee. It is, it is a danger to your soul. You've been set free. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way so that you can stand up on, under it. The momentary pleasures of sexual immor- immor- immorality are not worth risking the eternal glory of our presence in 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 glory with our God. Flee. The other threat to our holiness is a secular or worldly mindset and lifestyle. As he says in verse 16, that makes sure that no one is unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. We just read this story. Esau was so concerned Consumed with his hunger and his the things of this life, that he cast aside the eternal blessings that were his the heavenly blessings. And I know that you know that we are assaulted and we're consumed with the things of the here and now, but beloved, we cannot let. Those concerns, those real concerns, monopolize our hearts and our minds so that we abandon and neglect and our, our heavenly blessings that are secured in heaven for us and we lose out on that which has been promised for us. We have an obligation to see to it that none of us is being led astray by the allure of worldliness but fix our eyes on Jesus, and beloved, this is this, this. Holiness is a necessary thing. Our the, the text says, "Strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord." And I, I am confident that every one of us here wants, longs to be in God's presence in glory. Are you striving to be holy? Is that is that? A priority for your life. There's there's a warning there. No one will see the Lord without this holiness. We must pursue holiness. Our God says, be holy as I am holy. Heaven is a holy place. And God makes us holy as we strive for holiness. So let us pursue holiness together we have a critical role in the salvation, the ultimate salvation of each one of us. So let us see to it. So there's the task that is given by the Lord, but then there is workmen or workers appointed for the task. The command says, see to it. That uh, the Greek word is very close to one of the words that we have for elder, uh, which is episkopos, Uh, which means to look over and overseer. um, And indeed, elders of God's church are overseers. They must look over the flock. They must uh, know the flock and know the sheep in the flock and be concerned about their needs and their struggles and their gifts. But this is a command for the church. Dear Christian, this is a command for you. Each one of us must see to it that no one fails to reach, to obtain the grace of God. We have an obligation one to another. You are your brother's keeper. God has put you into the life of your brothers and sisters to know them. And to be his mouthpiece of grace, to be his eyes of his heart. So how, if this is our task, how are we to to do this? What's necessary? Well, obviously, it means that we need to know each other. And we have to intentionally invest in each other's lives. Uh, to use uh, an analogy from our biological families you know more it's a modern phenomenon that less and less families are actually spending time together. what used to be the norm is that families would eat dinner every night together and less and less families do that even our own family which we've made it a priority. Uh, we've struggled just because of the things of life, but after a while, if you're not spending quality or quantity time together, then you're not really functioning as a family. You're just a bunch of individuals living under the same roof. And beloved, may Zion never be known as a church where it's just a bunch of individuals who show up to worship under the same roof, we are called to be members of one another and to invest in one another. There is true fellowship that happens in worship. Don't get me wrong. This is an important aspect of our unity with one another. We, we rightly say we come to worship God. Um, this, this is the center point of our worship. But there is a fellowship aspect of it. When we sing songs, we are singing to God, but we're singing to one another. We're declaring these truths to one another. When we confess our sins, it is to God and God alone that we sin, and yet we're confessing out loud in each other's hearing to encourage one another to confess together. When we affirm our faith, we're affirming the things that have been held for generation to generation, but we're affirming it together. When we celebrate the sacraments we do it together. When we sit under the preached Word of God, we do it as a body. And before and after worship, we have an opportunity to catch up with one another, to fellowship, to get to know one another. These are This is a vital aspect of our union with one another, is worship. But our God also calls us to be in each other's lives outside of the Lord's Day morning. He calls us to hospitality, clearly practice hospitality. He calls us to share the love of Christ individually and to get to know each other or the other members in our spiritual family. God in his grace and his wisdom and his love has from all eternity appointed your brothers and sisters in this church to be members with you and me? Shouldn't we be excited to understand why God has done that? What are the ways that we can love these people that God has put us with for all eternity? What are the ways that we can help encourage one another? What are the ways that we can serve one another in grace? How can we be a blessing and how can we bless them? And Beloved, the more that you get to know your brothers and sisters, the more it ought to drive you and me to pray for them, to pray that God would work by his spirit in their hearts to bring about maturity and holiness and peace. And the more that you pray for them, the more that it drives you to want to encourage them as the Lord gives you sight of where they are struggling, where they are looking to fall out from the race. And beloved, when this happens, this this is the work of God's spirit of love in and among the body of Christ. This is the work of the spirit of Christ who has made us one in himself and united us by his, his unified character and his grace. And this is the spirit that is at work in his children. He desires us. He desires to save a people. And the beauty of this glorious gospel, beloved, is that his means of saving and preserving his people to glory is by working love and unity in and among us, even as he brings us to glory so he calls us not as a command to keep us under his thumb, to, to inconvenience our lives, but to purify us for glory. Of course, the flip side of that is that we need to let other people look out for us. If we're looking out for others, other people need to look out for us. And, you know, young kids, one of the, their favorite things to say is, well, I can do it myself. And we've certainly had a number of kids who love to say that, even to this day. And um, it, when, when it's a younger child or a younger sibling, we laugh because sometimes it's ridiculous. But is it is it much different the modern evangelical mind when it comes to salvation? I can I can do it myself. I can I can I don't need the body. I can I can listen to some sermons online. That's good enough. I can read what I want to read. I can hold myself accountable. I can decide what I need. I can draw near to the Lord by myself. No beloved, you cannot. You and I cannot do salvation by ourselves. You were never meant to save yourself. Jesus Christ came and Poured out his spirit upon his people and he is drawing us together he is working through us so that we will make it to glory to avoid community is great sin we were never meant to be an individual we are a body of mem- we are members of a body we are citizens of of a kingdom. We are children in a family. We need each other. We need each other. This is God's design. This is God's plan. To do anything else is harmful for our soul and damaging to the body. And you may struggle with fear of man. I I get it. Uh, You may say, I'm a private person. Uh, You may fear what would people really think if they knew the real you You may just not want to have to deal with people. I understand all those things well. But in Christ Jesus, individualism is not an option. We were created for fellowship. It is not good for man to be alone, and that applies in the church. We were created for each other. You need other people sharing life with you. God is not concerned With preserving your perfect plans, he is perfecting you for glory in accordance with his perfect plan. So there's workers for the task, but then there is a great reward for the work. And quite simply, beloved, the great reward is that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And the reward for not being faithful is that some may fail to obtain the grace of God. At the beginning of the passage in verse 12, there's this two-sided coin of these things. It uses athletic imagery. He says, you know, do these things so that what is lame, so there's something that's injured, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. By being faithful to these things, there's a healing balm. But to to avoid it, a catastrophic injury, an injury on an endurance race would be devastating. A broken ankle, a, a sprained knee. We must pursue these things so that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Beloved, one day you and I will stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. And I pray that this never happens, but what would you do if you were standing before his glorious throne and he said, I want you to know that one of your brothers and sisters from Zion Presbyterian Church failed to obtain the grace of God. What would you say? Maybe you'd say, well, I didn't know. I wish I'd known, Lord. And he might say, well, why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? I bought you by my blood. I joined you to the church. I gave you a home where you could practice hospitality. I gave you years together, ministering, worshiping, fellowshipping. Why didn't you know? Maybe you say, well, Lord, I, I really had, I was too busy. I had too many things going on in my calendar and I, I wanted to, I just didn't have the time. The Lord might say, well, why were you so busy? What were you so busy with? Whose priorities were you following? What, what, those things that you busied yourself with now, what are they worth now? Or maybe you'd say, well, I prayed for them. I don't know why they fell away. The Lord would say, yes, I heard your prayers. Your prayers were precious to me, and I answered your prayers by sending you I called you to see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You were earnest in speaking to me. Why didn't you speak to your brother? Or maybe you'd say, "Well, I, I wanted to, but I just, I just didn't think they would listen." To that, I think the Lord would say, "My dear child, I know who you are. This is never about." your eloquent speech, or your wisdom, or your grace. I put you in their life so that you could be a mouthpiece of my grace. I am your strength. Beloved, it's very true that one reason we hold back is because we just don't think people will listen. But guess what? The people of God don't always listen to the preached word of God. But woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. Beloved, our God calls us to consider the watchman, the watchman who stands on the wall and looks for danger, and he must report danger when it's coming. If he sees danger coming and he reports to the people and they listen, then they are saved. But if he, if he sees danger coming and they don't respond, well, the blood is on their own heads. But if he sees the danger coming and he says nothing, the blood is on his own head. And beloved, God has made you watchmen over your brothers and sisters. God has called you to love them. And beloved, if you are feeling some sense of regret over past or present op- missed opportunities, what I want to say is praise God because that is a work of God's spirit on your heart. And praise God because God forgives sin, beloved. Confess this sin to the sin to the Lord. Confess where you have misprioritized and wasted time and you have neglected your brother and sister and receive the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus Christ but then rejoice and move forward in joyful obedience as God's servant with an opportunity to be part of the Lord's work in your brother and sister's lives. Because there is another alternative, beloved, because we could be standing before the throne and the Lord Jesus say, well, I want you to know, I want you to know that that brother or sister of yours that is in glory now, who obtained the grace of God, is there because of your faithful service. You spoke the word of hope. You encouraged them. You kept them back from the fire. And yes, I worked through you, but now, well done! Go share in my joy for all eternity. Rejoice for my child. Is here forever and ever. Thank you for your service, beloved. The church of Jesus Christ is not a social group, it is not just a collection of individuals. We are a body of members united to one another. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit dwelling in and among us. We are the household of God where God himself has empowered brothers and sisters to love and intervene in each other's lives, to encourage one another. Let's lift the drooping hands and strengthen the weak knees and make straight paths for our feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed, beloved. Let's finish this race together in love so that we can celebrate our salvation and our Savior together in glory forever and ever. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your beautiful plan of using weak and sinful wayward sinners like us as part of your glorious rescue and salvation. Oh, Father, we are insufficient for this task. We fail again and again, and yet you are so gracious to us. We thank you for that. Would you work in us. Would you unite this body of believers here? Would you make Zion into that type of community that loves each other well? And we pray that no one would ab- fail to obtain the grace of God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.